Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing great as well. I uh, have to make a shout out here to Steve, a.k.a. the Beast Hayes, just turned 70 years old. Wow. Isn't that amazing? 70 yeah. years old and still jamming out of his mind. Yeah, we got to celebrate him over the weekend with many jams and he was in heaven because he was jamming and there's a perfect example of how frisbee keeps you young and he is going to probably keep guiding till he's a hundred from what i can tell so congratulations beast on 70 years on the planet jamming yeah congratulations steve it was great to celebrate with you so randy what do you think it is about frisbee that makes it the fountain of youth well, I think that there are many things. Um, obviously, it gets you out and moving, and I think move it or lose it is a good thing to remember for for that aspect. But I think it also is a, as we've shared together, it's really a meditative thing. So it sort of calms the senses. Life is less anxious when you're jamming because you don't have time to be anxious when you're jamming. You're just in the moment. I can't help but think that that is a positive thing for a longevity perspective. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a little bit of a meditative activity. It brings you completely into the moment, stops the, stops the worrying and the thinking and the other thing I think is is that it's a play. So a lot of other physical activities like running, biking, it's not as much play. You're just sort of doing it to do it. Freestyle Frisbee, you're just out there to have fun. You're playing. You're not really exercising for the sake of exercising. And playing keeps you with a childlike mentality. That's really a great point. And I think that that is something we could incorporate more in our lives, period, is more play. And I think the more you play in life, the longer your life is going to be, because if life becomes work, I mean, all you got to do is say that life becomes work. I don't want to do it anymore. But if life is play, I'm going to do it for as long as I can. Totally. Yeah. You never want to stop. It's just fun, fun, fun. <laughs> well, that was a little bit of a digression. So let's jump into the uh, this episode. Um, so we are now continuing our conversation with Merdad Hussainian, a.k.a. Graf. So we we're discussing with him his journey to winning the FPA Worlds with Paul Kenny in 2015. And uh, he's going to continue the conversation telling us a little bit about how, how he prepared differently for this event than he had for events in the past. So uh, let's give a listen. The year before, when I played with you, Randy, I made a big mistake. I went to that cross club and partied till 6 in the morning. And that's why I didn't play <laughs> really good in the finals. So 2015, I said to myself, I'm not going to party. I'm going to go to bed before midnight. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to have a good breakfast. And then I'm going to go and just shred. And I was the first guy, Sunday finals. I was the first guy in the gym. And when all the other jammers slowly came into the gym, I was already playing. And I was on fire and I was playing alone. And I could like, in my perception i could see the guys watch me and I, I felt like yeah that's exactly what i wanted that's kind of understatement guys i'm ready i'm ready for finals i didn't party i'm i'm, I'm just fired up and 
we didn't play that good, but we won. And yeah, that just, as Paul said, it set the tone for the year. Yeah, but you know, you do, you get a pass when it's Frisbeer, you know, that's, that's Frisbeer. You're supposed to go out and, and uh, howl at the moon. So I do remember when we were playing together, because I didn't go out and I, I got up and got there. And I remember you came to the gym and I, I could kind of see your eyes spinning around in your head. <laughs> You're like, okay, uh, uh, throw me some spin. Well, what spin do I take? What, what room am I in? And, but anyways, we still had a great time. It was still really fun. And, and that's what you're supposed to do at Frisbeer. Frisbeer is about having fun, but it's also fun to focus on the other side too. So I give both sides of the coin. Yeah. So that was my journey with Paul and looking forward to another journey with him this year. Because believe me, this time maybe I can be the one that has your back. So. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I love that. You earned the right to have a little bit more of a voice in, in the process. And uh, it's interesting to watch that evolution as well as to how you first come into building routines and being sort of the new person on the block to gaining some skills and starting to have your own vision about how you think the shape of a routine should be. And then you kind of get to take that lead. So that baton is getting passed to you, Meridad. So have a great time with that. Thanks. So have you built routines with anyone else besides Paul so far, Meredad? Um, I had a 90-second routine with Fabio Sana. The first time I competed with him. First of all, I got to say, Fabio Sana is my most influential mentor, freestyle role model. Like We started around the same time. We're same age, and he's counter, I'm counter. So I think that kind of helped a lot at the beginning and when I first time saw him play he gave me that vision of what I thought could be maybe some type of my game one day and that was I think 2014 when I was in Bologna playing with Fabio and I got terribly sick I was at Fabio's place and I was just shivering staying on the couch for two days not able to practice or do a routine so we went to the tournament, and on the tournament field, we kind of put together some 90 seconds, four-minute pairs, and we had like 90 seconds, and the rest of it was a jam. So that was the other routine that I had before, prior to the one with Paul. And we won the tournament. Nice. Yeah. And that was just maybe not on the same level like the world's title, but just less than an inch below, because... That was that was one of my big goals to compete with Fabio. That was like if I get the chance to to compete with Fabio, I can die happy. So, <laughs> that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not joking, guys. I'm really not joking. He is my Roger Federer. He is he's the guy. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time that I met Fabio, and it was in it was the first Worlds that was in Rimini, and. Uh, I didn't actually know a lot of the Italian players. And I remember sitting on one of those grandstands that's there right by the red carpet. I remember looking out on the beach and there was like all these jammers. I didn't know who any of them were. And I'm like, how is this possible? So I went out onto the the beach and started jamming. And it was, you know, we couldn't speak the language. I didn't know how to speak Italian. They didn't really understand English too well. We just started jamming. We started speaking that, the language of jamming. And so had this amazing experience. Then I remember coming back from that and just kind of being blown away that here was 20 jammers that I'd never met. And like, how is that possible after 30 plus years of jamming? How they're 20 jammers that I don't know who they are. And then walk onto the red carpet back to the grandstand. And then here's this kid. And he goes, 
I know you. And I'm like, what? How do you know me? And I'm, I've never met you before. I know you from the internet. <laughs> and I was like, that was the first time that I remember the power of the internet and how it affected the ability for us to share this this love that we had of freestyle. And that was where Fabio just came to Worlds and he just was soaking everything up. I mean, he was this sponge and boy, did he soak it up. I mean, next year I saw him, he was amazing. And and he kind of did that same thing. I remember when I saw Donnie Rhodes play one time and then the next time I saw him, he was, Donnie Rhodes was amazing. And it was kind of a similar thing with Fabio. I was like, I saw Fabio play and the next time I saw him, he'd gone Donnie Rhodes. You know, he just went to a whole nother level. It was like, wow. So Fabio is an amazing, amazing player. And I echo what you're saying, Meredith. And an amazing human being. He's got, he's got what Skippy once said. He's got the full package. Totally. Yep. So Meredith, do you see yourself putting together routines in the future? Is this something that you enjoy? Uh, not really. <laughs> not really. You're more of a jam, spontaneous yeah. jamming type of guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, having that, this one title under my belt, um, I'm not going to ask God for anything else. I got what I wanted all my life. But after being second place all over the time, I'm finally first place. Now I don't have I don't have that pressure to go out and prove a point or prove people prove them wrong. But I have this one goal. I would, and I think maybe it's not even a goal. Maybe it's not even a dream. Maybe it's a fantasy. But I would love to play uh, to win a big title with a jam. Oh, with a spontaneous routine, you yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty. That's, fun. that's the thing where I think okay, something like Joey Hudaklin and Chipper Bro Bell '87 with it indoors i think skippy jammer made it the, the routine of the decade and it was not a routine but just to have someone uh, a player whose game i know to a team with perfect chemistry go out and just have everything on your side the luck the weather the conditions but we go out and just jam that's yeah that's the goal maybe the dream whatever <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a tough one to to do the it, the spawn against a routine because just it's just the way the judging system is. It the judging system doesn't really reward a spontaneous approach as well as it does a prepared routine. Well, it's yeah, it's interesting because when you do a spontaneous routine, there's a possibility that you'll do moves that you never have done before, or that you only do one out of ten times. Something it could be amazing. It could just be mind blowing. But the other side of that coin is you do the same move 10 times because you're spontaneous and that's all that, that the elements present to you. So it's just sort of this roll of the dice, whereas when you plan a routine, you have a much better chance of hitting all the big moves that you want to hit. But it probably won't be quite as big as it could potentially be with a spontaneous routine. Yeah. Well, I think you nailed it on the head. It's it's not going to have the variety that a planned routine, because you can get really unique and go for some stuff that you've practiced. And spontaneous, it's really hard to go into that laboratory and pull out something that is your special thing you've been working on for a couple months, because you're just in the moment, you know? And so, hard to put that in a competitive tube and, and just drink from it but it could happen yeah. so what you need graph is you need a partner that you always jam with 
one-on-one constantly. And and I totally get it. I've actually done both sides, and I got really close with Dougie Fresh in Worlds in Jacksonville. I think it was 95, and uh, we did our routine with Spawn, and we had been touring doing Frisbee shows for that whole year, and so we knew each other, and we knew exactly what was coming, and um, I think we had one drop, and we were right in there, and I think that was the year that Gary Auerbach and Brian McElwain won, and they had two disc full on choreographed and and we just couldn't get that same level of content that they had but it was close we were close we almost almost did it so i understand that that dream Meredad. I, I i like that side of the coin as well so Meredad, you are from heidelberg right yeah originally yes originally. okay so but where do you live now i've been living in berlin now since 2010 2010 okay and what prompted you to move there freestyle frisbee all right. Yeah. Um, we were three guys playing in Heidelberg. Philip Lennartz, aka Sleepy Jammer, he moved to Berlin in 2003. So it we was three guys left, me, Stefan Dünkel, and Martin Stadler. And then Stefan Dünkel had a girlfriend, and she was living in Berlin. So he decided, guys, I'm, I'm moving to Berlin. I remember I was, I was scared because I was like, okay, it's, now it's just two guys. And the chemistry between me and Martin was not as good as the chemistry of the three of us or just Martin and Stefan. So I felt, okay, I might lose something. I'm actually just starting to grow. And so I felt, okay, I got to do something. So I asked my girlfriend, hey, any chance that we move to Berlin? Maybe you can finish your school there. And she said, oh, I don't like Berlin at all. But in the end, I was able to persuade her. So Stefan Dunkel moved to Berlin on 1st of August. And I moved to Berlin on the 27th of August, 2010. Wow. That's a quick, quick yeah. decision. Yes. <laughs> you had to follow your passion and your dream. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I'm very thankful for all Berlin jammers. And I remember, especially at the beginning, the jams with Anton Kapelman. Wow. I mean, he's such a creative mind. I, I really felt like, damn it, why didn't I move to Berlin earlier? In 2010, that I was late. But I think just happy that I moved. And in the end, it really paid off. Big problem out to the Berlin jammers. We have a luxury problem, guys. Because we sometimes have two jams going on in the city. Oh, and you have nice. to pick which one to go to? Yeah, because some people prefer to play at the airport. And those who live close to the airport, I totally get it. They want to play there. They have really good wind conditions. For other guys like me, the airport is too far away. So during the week, we prefer to play in the center of Berlin. So sometimes you got two jams. So what's the best way for somebody who's visiting Berlin to get in touch with folks? Is there a is there a contact that you can shout out to? And well, people can contact us via Facebook on our Berlin Jamis page. I think that's probably the easiest way. So, Meredad, what are your thoughts about kind of the current state of the sport, and how do you think audiences react to us, and how do you think about? things that might improve it or do you think it needs improving like you know electronic judging or how we have our current judging system or routine lengths any of that stuff so i'd be curious to hear your thoughts about what you see the state of the sport is and where you'd like to see it go that's a a couple of good questions um i feel that except for the james wiseman videos which are all off the charts i often read criticism about today's game, especially from players who played in the 80s. And I 
kind of feel them because I think it's like two different pairs of shoes when you compare the game from the 80s and the game from today. I don't think it's our fault that the game is the way it is today. Back then it was all about, or a lot about, physicality. I think everyone back then was able to do a split. Doing a behind-the-back hold, I don't think that was something really big. Today I do a behind-the-back hold, do the peace sign, and I get positive reaction from the crowd. I think back then it was just a normal, normal move. And Deaton Mitchell and Mika did it even bigger. So I think maybe some things have changed. I just hope that they have some sort of understanding that it is difficult for us to, to, to play that game because things have changed. Now we have more mob ops. Now it's more about jamming. And I think most of us are more that kind of hippie freestylers. Maybe we are not hippies, but if you use the term they used back in the 70s, you had the, the true competitors and the hippies who just wanted to have fun and go out and groove and jam. Competitors of today are, are the same. They also like to go out and jam and, and have fun and shut down their brain and, and enjoy themselves. So I think, I don't know, to me personally, I think we're on a, we're on a good road, on a good path. If we want to get more audience, certainly we have to change a lot of things. I, I wouldn't like to see us play or compete for the crowd. Like, I totally get it that we have to change it, maybe the judging system. And I think the electronic judging system is a beautiful, beautiful tool. And kudos to, to Ryan for all his great work. I think I have two hearts beating in my chest. One says, yeah. Do it for the benefit of the sport, for the growth, change the system, make it more audience friendly. And the other side, the other heart says, no, go out and play the Tony Hawk game. Do or die. Just go out and shred, show your best moves, show your diff. I mean, I can understand it when people tell me, hey, if you do an inverted crank, the, the spectator won't know if it's against or not, if it's difficult or not. But if you do five beautiful rolls, they see the disc rolling, they see the disc up in the air, and then it gets back to your body. It's a beautiful motion, and they will probably dig that even more. So I feel like, it's it, for me, it's a bit difficult, because on the one hand, I want the sport to grow, I want, I want that change, but on the other hand, I also want to just go out and just be who I am and express myself in the most honest way I can. And playing shows and playing for the crowd and making it more friendly for them, not really sure if I would stick to my true spiritual game plan. But don't uh, you think both of those can live together? I don't think you have to dumb down the game to make it more accessible to the audience. It's interesting to hear you talk about what you thought the difference was in the 80s to now, and you, you really think the athleticism was what separated the uh, difference between then and now. And I think that athleticism can totally be there while engaging the audience. I don't think you have to go into demo mode. I just think you have to pay attention to both of them. Or what also makes it difficult, if you look at the 80s, I mean, wow, there were like, I have no idea, a couple of dozen super high caliber players. And today, if you take a look at especially the European scene, I don't see really a lot of people who could fill a stadium I was saying this recently to a friend of mine who was not involved in freestyle, and uh, he he saw a video of, of James Wiseman 
And he was like, man, this guy got skills. And I said, yeah, and we need 20 guys like James if we want to grow the sport. Like you need a couple of people on this level to get 200, 300, 400 people into, into a stadium. I think today it's a bit difficult because most of us, for most of us, it's, it's a, how you say, a part-time. So yeah, it's, it's a hobby almost. It's like we, yeah. do it, we do it for fun. We do it to be with each other for the family aspect of it. We, some of us take the competition pretty seriously, but it's not our primary livelihood, so we just can't dedicate full time to it. And that is one of the differences back in that day in the 80s is that, and we've been learning this as Jake and I have been talking to folks from that period, is that it was their job. I mean, that's what they were doing to live. It was a meager living, but still, that was what they were doing. And so they just ate, drank, and breathed Frisbee 24-7. And that's where they were able to push kind of the limits and explore. Yeah, I remember the conversation you guys had with Donnie, and I think he just nailed it, like, it was not a part-time for him, it was his uh, livelihood. Eat, breathe, what you said. Play frisbee, sleep, repeat. Most of us are not 18, 19, 20. Like, now we have the three, four guys from Roboreto, the young guys. And I hope that they will kind of maybe be able to, to get a new generation coming. Do you, do you think that's the difference? Is the time we're able to put into it? That is that the difference between now and then? Yeah, our time today is limited. Most of us finished universities or their studies, working, and you got all those obstacles in life, the mortgage and paying the rent and the kids and bring them to the kindergarten and all the other duties you got in life. I think that all makes it a bit difficult. So for most of them, for most of the guys, even for those who are highly competitive, their time is limited. So yeah, I think it's, the limited time we have that makes it really difficult. I will just sort of throw this in there, not as a devil's advocate, but more of that. I think there actually is great play that is going on. And I think there has been since the 80s. And there's an interesting thing that has happened in this discussion. It's it's now in the 80s. And there's like this 30 years of amnesia that has taken place that has forgotten really great teams and great players that were in the style of what we've seen in the 80s. And it's been carried on. And so I want to make sure that we don't lose that historical perspective of there are great teams in the 90s and there are great teams in the 2000s and uh, i think i think there's there's a there's there's a conversation that's happening that is having this 30-year amnesia that i want to at least shine some light on because there have been some great players in between now and then and there's great players now, too. And I think one of the things that this conversation might do is alienate these players who are great today. They may start feeling like, well, I'm never going to be as good as they were in the 80s. Or these old crusty guys, they don't really appreciate my play. But I think the stuff, just like you were saying earlier, Meredad, how your, your true self is the way that you play now. I don't want to discount that. That's valuable. The way that we play now is different. It's not. I don't even really even think it's that different, but there's a lot more technical stuff. There's a lot more angles and skids and turnovers, and I think that stuff is just as valid. And I also think that we can we can present it to an audience in a way that it's is still engaging. You know, the audience may not understand it without an explanation, so let's give them the explanation. We just tell them what it is. Just like Tony Hawk goes out and does all this stuff, I don't really understand what it is until the announcer tells me what it is. And then I they interview Tony Hawk, and I get to know who he is. 
And then I go, okay, he's uh, he's really trying to do something special, and now I get it. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing right now in our presentation of the sport. It's not that the way that we play isn't right. It's that we're just not packaging it up mm. in a way that's accessible. You mean if, if we are able to involve the audience by giving feedback or just what you just recently, that survey you posted, like, would you like to have commentary? On, on, on routines. I think that's a beautiful thing. I really, I, I would love to have that. I would love to be a commentator. Commentator. Right. I think you're you would in. be a great commentator too because you, you were such a student of the game as you were saying and as you're demonstrating like you know so much history, you know so many styles, you know everyone's names. You'd be a wonderful commentator. I think it's a complex conversation and it isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray in there and I think there's a lot of things to play with and I think that if we give ourselves that freedom to explore, to play with it, not just be rigid about, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be done. I think there's a danger in not allowing us to explore how it's packaged, how it's presented. And I'm not talking about losing the spirit of ourselves or not playing with some hardcore mentality, but just try some things that are maybe a little bit different out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I would love to see what you said, Randy. I would love to see that synergy of getting the crowd, making it more audience friendly, and be still able to be true to your roots of the game, in the game. If I get the chance to express myself the way I want without, I don't know how you call that, being phony, being, being not who I am, being just presenting myself to the audience, it has to be authentic, authentic. Definitely, definitely. I don't want to lose that authenticity. I think that is the key. I think that's what's getting lost in this conversation. It isn't about losing the authenticity and going, ta-da, look at what I did. It's going exactly the opposite direction. It's about giving it to the audience and letting them find it. Don't try to force feed it to them. That, that is what I'm talking about. Yeah, you have to take your passion for it and share that with the audience. And so yeah. you have to be yourself to do that. Yeah, the authenticity is what drives that. If it's not authentic, then they see it as being phony and they like, oh, okay, see you later. I'm going to go watch some other sport. But if we can get back to that authenticity and present it in a way that they can join instead of it just be like about the player, then I think there's some magic there. We're, we're missing it. I, I think we got to we got to search at it hard. We got to go for it. Wow, what a great conversation to have with you and uh, Murda Husseinian. You could really hear the passion in our voices. I know I get really passionate when I think about how to grow the sport and how to make it more audience friendly. So uh, it was really fun to talk about. Yeah, me too. And and uh, I would love to see us embrace experimenting more with different, you know, formats and different things. And I, and I know we actually do experiment. Uh, with Frisbeer and Ryan, like at Potlatch and, and other folks are trying different things, but I would like to see us try it at Worlds. There seems to be a real reluctance to uh, try it at Worlds, like it's this sacred cow that we can't do anything with it because of historical reasons or for whatever, you know, people kind of have different camps and they're like, no, we can't do that. So we'll just keep it the way it always has been sort of the deer in the headlights. Let's, we don't know what to do. We don't want to offend anybody. Okay, we just won't do anything. So I would love to see us kind of just embrace that and like, it may not be in your camp. Well, that's okay. Give it a try for a year. And then, you know, maybe you'll, we'll do seven minute routines instead of three minute routines, or we'll try it indoors with a fan or, you know, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit extreme. 
But, you know, yeah. try some speed flow events or whatever. Just try some stuff. No, I totally agree. I think what happens is there are so many different differing opinions that it's hard to get a consensus. I think that's one of the challenges. And I think the other challenge is that when, when the FPA undertakes changing the judging system, they review the entire thing. Yeah. What I would like to see is we just do one thing at a time. Every year we make one little change, make it small, try it, and then maybe the next year we repeal it and make a new change. Or maybe we like it and we keep it and then we make a new change. And so there's constant change, but it's all small. So there's not as much disagreement around whether it's whether we can do it or not. Yeah, and I and I actually like that approach too. Had it have it be it, iterative. It, it, iterative. <laughs> iterative. Iterative. Yeah. <laughs> But that also puts the onus on the membership to embrace that. Okay, it may not fit your comfort zone, but you're going to go ahead and try it anyways, just to know that we want to experiment and it may experiment in your camp later. Actually, I like that. I do think we all need to take a little ownership of being okay with change. You know, change is scary, but I also think it's important. We're not going to improve if we don't change. Yeah, me too. Me too. So one thing that's very exciting is that I know that we're going to be live streaming Jam Britannia 3 here. And one thing I do know is that streaming is not free. So maybe you could expand on what the costs are so that folks out there who are donating kind of get an idea for what they're doing to support our sport. This is something that's I think is pretty exciting. So let me share kind of the background on why it costs us anything. So in the past, live streams have gone through either a service called Ustream or a service called YouTube. What happens is when we do the streaming, it's free to us, but YouTube and Ustream add their own advertisements on top of it. So it could be that someone's in the middle of a routine, a routine and then poof, there's an ad and you miss what they were playing, what they were doing. And then the routine comes back and they're done. You know, We have really no control or ownership of what's going on. Um, the other thing that could happen is they could hear the songs that we're using and they could say, oh, hey, we don't have licenses, we're cutting that out. So what I decided to do was to uh, basically set up our own service. Uh, so I partnered with a company called Wowza who does uh, cloud streaming, basically. They host it and you pay them a monthly fee and you pay for usage. So what it costs us is $15 a month base plus a little bit of cost for usage. Uh, so the more viewers we get, the more it costs. It's probably $5 a day is what we run average for an event. So if it's a two-day event, it's an extra $10 for that month. What that gets us is, A, full ownership of the content, but B, no advertisements. And I'm sure that people have noticed that. When you go watch the stream up on frisbeeguru.com, there's no advertisements. You get to watch everything that happens. Yes, I just want to say thank you all very much for your support because that's really what makes this happen. Yeah, and I would say if there's anybody out there who wants to be a benefactor of the live stream, give us a couple hundred dollars, and that really helps go a long ways to covering that cost. Again, yes, thanks for your support. And Jake, with that, I will talk to you next time. Yeah, talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees and live streaming freestyle frisbees.